believe that we will win! Let's go! our friends at the USA Night Before Party with the intro here on uh, Football Americas. What do you think, Herc? Did they do it better than me or what? Uh, yes. <laughs> Thank you for the vote of confidence there. Speaking of the Night Before Party, we will be going live there a little bit later in the show with Alexis Nunes, who I believe you saw in some of those shots. Herc, we are one sleep away. One more sleep till USA against sleep, Iran. Sleep, you said? What is that? Yes, you're right. Uh, here in <laughs> Qatar, sleep is relative and or uh, non-existent. So obviously coming up in this show, we're going to have plenty more on tomorrow's game. Pivotal matchup between the United States and Iran and everything happening around the matchup because that's also a very interesting uh, part of the context in this game. A little bit later in the show, we're going to talk to Mark Ogden, who you know yep. yesterday, you saw it on ESPN.com, breaking news. There is a link, a potential loan move for Christian Pulisic to go from Chelsea to Manchester United could be absolutely huge. Mark Ogden, the guy who broke the story, uh, will really break it down for us here on Football Americas. And then a weird story that comes in the aftermath of Mexico and Argentina. Canelo Alvarez, one of the biggest icons in Mexican sporting history. The boxer, very much in a fighting mood when it comes to Lionel Messi. Strange things happening uh, in the world of World Cup football. But uh, I think there's only one place to start. It is with the United States against Iran and what's happening, not on the pitch, but very much off the pitch and on social media. All of this has to do with a controversial and now deleted tweet from the official U.S. men's national team Twitter account in which the central image on the Iranian flag, which is often linked with the Islamic Republic, was removed. This touched off a geopolitical firestorm, which then spilled over in today's pre-match press conferences. Our Sam Borden has more. A day after U.S. soccer social media accounts posted images of Iran's flag without the Islamic Republic logo in the center of it as a form of protest, Iran's coach Carlos Kirosh largely played down the situation, saying he didn't need it to motivate his players. U.S. coach Greg Berhalter reiterated that neither he nor the players had any input into the decision to make the posts, but nonetheless apologized to Iran. The players and the staff knew nothing about what was being posted. Um, and, it, you know, sometimes things are out of our control. We believe that it's going to be a match um, that the result will depend on, you know, who puts more effort in, who, who executes better on the field. And, you know, we're not focused on those outside things, and, and all we can do on our behalf is apologize on behalf of the players and the staff, but it's not something that, um, you know, that, that we are part of. Are you okay to be representing the U.S.? Meanwhile, there's so much discrimination happening against black people in America. You know, there's discrimination uh, everywhere you go. Um, you know, one thing that I've learned, especially from living abroad in the past years and uh, having to fit in in different cultures and, and kind of assimilate into different cultures, um, is that in the U.S. we're, we're continuing to make progress uh, every single day. Given everything, Burhalter expects Tuesday's game to be played at an incredibly high intensity level, bringing to mind the 1998 World Cup match between these teams. Burhalter remembers watching that game, which Iran won, and being struck by how the American players couldn't match the emotion that the Iranian players had on the field. It's a lesson that he thinks will be important for his players to understand, and he's talked to them about it. What I saw that night, he said, is burned into my brain forever. In Doha, Sam Borden, ESPN. All right, great to have uh, Sam Borden's perspective and reporting here on Football Americas. I should probably preface this conversation with acknowledging, at least I don't speak for you, but I'm not a geopolitical expert. So um, your thoughts on everything that we've seen kind of unravel in the last 24 hours? It's difficult because um, one would say this is sports. Politics shouldn't be involved. The politics has been involved with the sport since his inception and definitely at this world cup and definitely at this world cup and a lot of these kids won't even know what the geopolitical battle 
with Iran is about and how that is linked mm -hmm. to them. And they are finding out now. Um, the way that Tyler Adams carried himself. I mean, he's the youngest captain in this World Cup. And to carry yourself with such poise, such maturation, just such understanding of the moment, and to eloquently speak that way, beyond his years. Um, so I commend them for that. But this is going to be something different than just a game. And I think Greg Berhalter and his comments to Sam Borden is spot on. You, you have to match the intensity and the motion of which this game will be played at for Iran. You have to understand that it's much more than a game for them. This means much more than just 90 minutes of ball rolling on the field. So with that said, there's still a game to be played. Yep. Um, so you have to somehow eliminate everything else from your mind when it comes down to those 90 minutes in order to get a result. You know, I wonder what those behind the tweet were hoping to accomplish. Yeah. You know, the, the intent may be valiant, right? It, if we kind of dig into this, we may understand that, you know, it was explained before the tweet was deleted um, that this was in support of the women in Iran, effectively. Right. Um, and we've seen actually the players in the Iranian team take a stand for the women of Iran. They didn't and so sing the national anthem. There, there may be some people in that Iranian dressing room that see this and say, oh, they're in line with us. But from the point of the social media account of the U.S. men's national team, it's not even the federation, it's no. the men's national team. What are you hoping to accomplish with one tweet that effectively gets you know, erased five hours later? I, I just don't see, even if you have the best intentions, how you can look at it as a responsible move. It's, it's irresponsible to not do this with the proper coordination. And then as we hear you know, from the players and the staff, they had not even nothing to do with it, but no knowledge that it was coming. So I wonder if you, I can't imagine you've ever been in a situation like this, but I've been in a dressing room where someone outside that dressing room has created an issue for you now in the dressing room and what that makes you feel like as a player. I'm trying to think about that and no, I don't think I've ever been in a situation like that. But as a player, what you're trying to do is focus on what you need to do, mm -hmm. right? And it'd be one thing if they came to the players, we want to take a stand together. And then the players decided on it. They voted on it. Yeah. Greg Berhalter had some input on this. The Federation had some input on this. But it's a community manager here going rogue, if you will, and doing this because... For whatever reason, but without consulting the Federation, without consulting the players, without consulting exactly who will be affected, regardless of how well-intended it yeah. is or whatever the case may be, whatever you're looking for, it needs to be consulted. You may be, you may be trying to cash checks that these players aren't ready for. Yeah. yeah. And that, to me, worries. They, right now, they're not the ones taking that stand. They're not the ones no. trying to give, and this isn't bulletin board material, but it's extra attention that takes away for them what should be the focal point of one of the biggest games of their lives. I mean, you saw that press conference. It was incredibly tense. That can't have been comfortable. No. It's a totally different level, but it actually reminds me a little bit, if you go back Oh, five years ago now, uh, the game, the defining game of the failed qualifying campaign for the U.S. last time around is in Trinidad. And you remember the U.S. social media team got in trouble then for posting the images of the guys kind of laughing and joking about the, the field conditions the day before that game. And clearly the people in Trinidad took great offense to that. And this just seems like a 10x, 100x, 1,000x version of that, right? In a World Cup, You've created a, a situation, a tension that didn't need to be there. And this isn't, as you've said, just any other game. There was already going to be incredible geopolitical, historical, cultural tension here. Yeah. And this only makes it worse. Yeah, I mean, the questions you're getting that are coming out of this event, this tweet, this deleted tweet now, you're getting questions about naval ships off of Iran. You're getting questions about discrimination yes. in the States, gun control, all these different questions. And these players are like, where did this come from? Right. I came to play a football game, regardless of their stance, regardless. And these players, empathetic towards the cause, and we all are. We all want human rights. It, it should be a birthright. Yes. That should be a birthright. It's, it's not negotiable. Right. But right now, they're talking about a football match. Yes. And they're being asked geopolitical questions about naval ships. Yes. It's, it's everything but the actual game. And you mentioned the tweet. There's a long list of things that, the players on the men's side and women's side have been almost put in the forefront for, mm. and they had no idea. You can go back to when the women had the lawsuit against against the Federation, mm. and the lawyers for the Federation put out that, right. well, men are stronger physically, so they should make more. Mm. How is that a defense? And the men had no idea this was going on, and then the, 
U.S. soccer president said, we had no idea this was actually their defense. These things just make you look dumb. Yeah. Uh, let's credit the people who were at the press conference today. I, I think both Greg Berhalter and especially Tyler Adams uh, handled that about as, as best as you could. Yes. Something else very interesting came out of the press conference today, and it had to do with what's happening on the field, or, or maybe better said, what might happen tomorrow on the field. Of course, you know Jeff Carlisle. You've seen him here on this show. You can follow his writing over at ESPN.com. I asked Greg Berhalter about the performance of the central strikers and if any thought had been given to Gio playing there, of course, Gio Reyna. He said he hadn't thought about moving Reyna, Pulisic, Weya, Morris, or anyone else there instead of Sargent, Wright, or Ferreira. Okay, Herc, is Greg Berhalter correct then to discard the false nine option ahead of this game against Iran? Because that seems like what he's doing there. Yeah, and Ferreira is the false nine option. That is the false nine option. It's Jesus Ferreira. He's more a, he may well be a false nine. But he's, he's, he's the false nine option. But he's more of a true nine than a Pulisic way uh, Reina. And, and you know what the point is here, right? Get all your best attackers on the field. That's the idea right. behind not using a sergeant, a Haji, um, or a Jesus Ferreira. You're trying to say he's not showing his hand. That's what you're trying to go for. No, I'm just wondering, do, do you think it's the correct move for him not to, not to play a false nine in this game? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Why? Why? Yeah. Because what I, Iran has shown me is they're a team that's very physical. They're very okay. intense. Mm -hmm. um, you can have a combination of those two nines. You can have a nine with movement, pace, and you could also have a nine that's going to do well in a physical battle because I think this would be a very physical game. Greg Berhalter is already talking about matching the emotion, matching the intensity. Right. When I saw Iran play versus Wales, mm -hmm. Wales, a, a Welsh team that beat up physically the United States men's national team in the second half of the first game of the World Cup, when I saw that, when I saw how they kicked them in the mouth, when I saw how they played with that intensity, with that heart, with that grit, I knew the United States men's national team was in store for a battle. So mm. I would go with something a little bit more refined on the physical front, one, and also capable of having speed um, and intelligence to break that line because they will push up, they will give you opportunities. Uh, real quick. Are you saying it's a bad idea overall or just for this Iran game? Like, would you think a false nine, a Pulisic there could work for this team in maybe a different matchup? Or are you just saying... Well, it, hold, hold on. A false nine could actually work in this matchup at some point in the game. Okay. Because okay. there, there may be a scenario in this game where it presents itself because of that line. Where it presents itself because of the spaces that are being afforded to you, and you notice those spaces being afforded to you, you could very well go into a Tim Way Timothy Weah in the nine position or a Christian Pulisic in the nine position because you think that they can get on beyond that defensive line and it could be acres of space for them to take advantage of. That could be an option, yes, but I don't think you go into it starting thinking, I need a false nine. Yeah, I think it's worth stating the obvious here. Any manager in the day before a press conference asked a direct question like that, he's not going to tip his hand. No, he's not going to no. tip his hand. So take, take what he said there with a grain of salt. Okay, we don't know what Greg Berhalter's ideal 11 for the game tomorrow is. But we might have an inkling as to Hercules <laughs> Gomez, best 11 for the showdown with Iran. There it is, Herc. Walk us through it. All right. Bear with me. It's uh, Matt do. Turner, Anthony Robinson on the left, Tim Ream, Walker Zimmerman. You're not moving those two center backs. Serginho Dest. I will go with Serginho uh, again. I thought he looked very good against England. Uh, I am going to go Musa. Adams, now listen to me carefully. I am listening because I'm, I'm curious about this. I'm worried about Weston McKinney's health, okay. how much he can give you. And I think this is going to be one of those games where you need a little bit of poop housery, <laughs> where you may need somebody who's a master of those dark arts, where you may need somebody who's a physical presence, good on the ball, where you need somebody who's a two-way player. So I went with Kellen Acosta, and in up front, I'm not moving anything on the wings. Okay. I, I've enjoyed Christian Pulisic. I've enjoyed Timothy Weah. I think Timothy Weah is coming into his own this World Cup. I think it's a breakout tournament for him. Josh Sargent is that hybrid I mentioned to you. Okay. He's the one that can give you that physical presence but also stretch the line and is intelligent enough with his movement. I, I think he's the most talented nine in the pool. I, I go with him again. I know Haji got the uh, start against England. I go back to the well with Josh Sargent and I think he could do something for me. But the big question mark for me is Weston McKinney. Okay, let me, let me put it to you this way. Greg Berhalter, knowing what he knows, which is more than us, says, no, nah, Weston's 100%. He's good to go. He's in your starting 11, correct? Or are you still going with Acosta? I've, I like Acosta in this, in this type because, of matchup. Let me throw this at you. But Weston seems to have actually looked better physically yes, in the yes. second game than the first. But, so he's but growing, we, I would Weston's suggest. a player 
that I know what I can get out of. And if he looked physically better and you think he can physically go, he, he's back in there. I know he missed that chance versus England, mm -hmm. but he is that guy. Box to box, contagious uh, with his work rate, gets everybody around him going, technical, soft feet, and he gets on the end of things. He's got a knack for arriving late into the box, which is very valuable. Uh, so I would go with Weston. There, there is a huge question mark there for me. So it's Acosta or Weston, but I do not mind Acosta one bit in this game. There's a couple guys you've left on the bench. Gio Reyna, maybe you can explain that easily. But I saw your face when you had to make the way up Brendan Aronson decision. How tough was it for you to not, leave not Mr. Football Americas out yeah, of this Yeah, not lineup? tough in this one because I think there's going to be a high line that he can exploit. Okay. So okay. Not, not tough in that this one. But just in general, leaving Brendan Aronson off any list gives me the heebie-jeebies. Like, I don't like to do it. It's bad yeah. juju. No. Uh, Gio Reyna, a sub in this one? And an early sub. Okay. You've got to get him. I think there's a space for Gio Reyna early in this game where the game's going to be transitional, or the game's going to be open, and you start thinking to yourself, man, Gio Reyna, he could take advantage of this. Put him in the midfield. Put him on a wing. Put him wherever you want. Get him on the ball, most importantly. And I think he could do something special. He's that player for me. But I don't know about starting him. If you've not really played him at all, starting him now, I mean, especially after everything, after everything Greg Berhalter has said and everything that we have heard, the rumors going around, I, I think you get him out early. Last question based on the lineup you put out there. Who's taking your set pieces? Because now you got Kellen Acosta on. And we if know Kellen Acosta is on the field mm -hmm. over Christian Pulisic, is that what you're asking? Yeah. It's Kellen Acosta. He's really? Set yeah, he's more consistent. Even he's though Pulisic's set pieces were much better second game well, than the first? Well, that's because the bar was so low the first game. Okay. That's why they looked better in the second. But Kellen Acosta, uh, when both players have been healthy, he, he, he would be the guy I, I go with. I think he's more consistent in his set piece delivery. All right, so we've seen Herx 11. Let's take a look then at the Group B standings and where everybody sits after two games in group play. We'll get to the standings uh, a little bit later, but we'll actually take a look at the odds first. For tomorrow's showdown against Iran, United States favorites there hang out at just plus 100. Uh, Iran plus 290 to get the win, and a draw coming in at plus 225. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Mark Ogden, then, back with us on Football Americas. You had some big breaking news yesterday about Christian Pulisic. We'll get into that in just a second. But actually, earlier today, you were at the Iran Match Day Minus One press conference. Give us kind of some, some of the vibes, some of the context, what you saw there. Yeah, it was a, a really busy press conference, obviously, because this game... The U.S. game is, you know, it's probably the biggest game in the group stage for, for football reasons. Cause it's a great game, but mm -hmm. also for off-field reasons, as we know. And uh, when Carlos Quiroz walked in, he was applauded by the Iranian journalists in the room. You know, he's, he's very popular with some of the journalists, not all, because there's obviously a, a debate as to whether he's been too reluctant to criticise what's been going on in Iran. And a lot of the Iranian journalists who are here are, are allowed to come by the regime, so it's, it's slightly, you know, difficult politically. But he was asked a lot of questions about um, the game, not many about what's happened off the pitch. He was asked about Jurgen Klinsmann's comments, mm -hmm. and he would make no comment about those. Really? He just, he just said, look, you know, he, t he talks about the philosophies given to him by his father, you know, you know, play football with the right spirit, but he wouldn't directly go after Klinsmann. Then he was asked about his reaction to the incident which the US SF social site and the Iranian flag. Again, he, he tried to steer clear of it, but he, he was quite pointed in saying that, you know, football is football. It's, we're all there to give happiness and show solidarity with people who've suffered issues with human rights, with racism, and then he said people who, kids who've died in school shootings. So mm. very emotive terms. Um, very direct, I yeah. think, to the United States in that yeah. way. Right? And, it, and uh, during that part, it was also applauded again by the Iranian journalists. So th th we always knew this game was going to be bigger than 
the game on the pitch. Now, we've seen today that it's much bigger than that. Mark, how many World Cups have you been to? This is my fourth now. Have you ever seen anything like this in a press room? No. No, th this is... Uh, this is unprecedented, but it's also, it's not just been this game, the US-Iran game, and the press conference today, it's been all sorts of issues. I think the one, I think we were saying before, that the, the one parallel I could draw is 2010, North Korea qualified, and it was more a bit of fun, a bit of novelty, like, look at North Korea, this strange country, they qualified for a World Cup, what's it going to be like speaking to North Koreans? There was no sense of politics mm. or, or this kind of, you know, human rights issues, none of it, but... The world has changed an awful lot since 2010, hasn't it? We've had the Me Too movement, we've had George Floyd. People are much more active, you know, on social media. The, the world has changed. And I think, you know, if North Korea had qualified this time, I'm sure the same issues that are accompanying Iran and the US and Qatar would be the same. Mm. Boris, the same thing. All right, let's dive into the uh, the big news from yesterday. Christian Pulisic. For those that haven't read your article, give us kind of the cliff notes. Uh, obviously, it sounds like Christian Pulisic uh, wants out of Chelsea, and there's a chance for a loan move to Manchester United, right? Yeah. So. There was a story during the rounds in, in the UK yesterday that Pulisic had been offered to United, Arsenal and Newcastle, among other teams in Europe. So I, I spoke to somebody at United and asked them, what's the situation? And the, the response to go back was that they'd be made aware that he is available. I think the Pulisic camp are quite keen to get him a move because it'll be four years in January since he's been at Chelsea. And let's be honest, the last two years perhaps have been a non-event. Mm -hmm. So I think Pulisic is now quite keen to move on and he's played 90 minutes in one, one game all season. That was the Carabao Cup. So... It, you know, Thomas Tuchel wasn't giving in games, Graham Potter's not giving in games, so the situation is that Pulisic is available in January, and I think United, well, I've been told that United would consider taking him on loan, not as a permanent deal, on loan, because with Cristiano Ronaldo leaving, they've got an issue in terms of numbers up front. Now, they, you, you count them up, they've got, they've got quite a few players available. Anthony, Marcus Rashford, Anthony Martial, um, Garnaccio, um, Jaden Sancho, Anthony Alanga. But how many of those can you really say... I can trust him to deliver on a... So Pulisic, I think, would be another body that has delivered at the top level, but needs a chance to show that he's better than what Chelsea have given him. Now, on this very show, uh, a few nights ago, Sebastian asked you the perception of Christian Pulisic in England, mm. and you said his perception is he's a role player. Yeah. So Manchester United are chasing a role player, is what you're telling yeah. me. And I've got to say, when I tweeted that out last night, the reaction from United fans was pretty universally, no chance. They're, just, they're not keen, because I think that they, they see a guy who is nothing more, in their eyes, than a sub at Chelsea. And that is pretty much what he is at the moment. He's a guy that doesn't get many games. But, you know, I, th I thought we saw in the England game tonight that Pulisic, I thought, played well. I thought he had a lot of spirit about him. He led the team. He showed a lot of fight, a bit of quality. I think that is a Pulisic that we want to see in the Premier League. I think the United's viewpoint is that... And there are concerns at United about his fitness record. I think that, that, is, that is true. But I think they also see a guy that has a point to prove, has got quality and that if the market in general doesn't throw up a lot of other options, I don't think it will, then he's a good option. But I think it's, it's fair to state that Man United haven't been chasing Christian Pulisic for the last two years because I think he's a great player. Mm. It's because <coughs> circumstances have arisen whereby in January he could be the best option available to give Eric Ten Hag more options. I think it's a, I think it's a valid point. Uh, let's talk the loan versus buy distinction because I think that's important. If I'm thinking about it from the Pulisic side, I would imagine going on loan could be problematic, right? You want, to, you want to find a permanent home. If I'm looking at it from Chelsea's side, maybe you don't want to make a loan inside the Premier League. That could be problematic. I guess from Manchester United's side or any Arsenal, Newcastle, whoever it might be, it's kind of a rental. You can, you can yeah. see what you've got. So describe kind of the motivations there and why the loan seems to be what everybody's looking at. Well, the loan, it works for Chelsea because they get him off the wage bill. Okay. And a guy that isn't playing is just another player that the coach has to consider. And it looks like they're going to sign uh, Nkunku for next summer. So they need to start making changes. And from the point of view of Arsenal, United, Newcastle, by signing him on loan, they get a chance to look at him and say, look, let's have a look at the player. Can he be the player that we think he is but hasn't been at Chelsea? And it's, it's a free hit. Yeah. If he does really well, in six months' time, they can give him a permanent contract. And Pulisic, great, he's got to move to a Premier League club. If it doesn't work out, then everyone moves on. But you were asking earlier whether would Chelsea sell him or loan him to a club that is a rival. Well, ultimately, right now, the only market for players at that level is a rival because the wages they pay, Christian Pulisic is not going to go to Aston Villa or to Leeds because they can't afford his wages. Right. So Chelsea know that the only clubs that can afford his wages are those teams that are vying with them for top six. Newcastle being a new element because they've got new money. 
I don't even think clubs in Spain or Germany or France could actually afford to take Pulisic. Bayern Munich could, but it's not going to go to Bayern Munich, is it? So this is, it's a very small market. Let me get one more go detail ahead. question <coughs> here, um, just so people know. There's usually when a loan move, there's the option to buy, or we've seen sometimes with Mexican players, no, well, the obligation, oh. right, to buy. What would this situ what would this be for Pulisic? I'd be pretty certain it'd be an option to buy, okay. not an obligation. I, I think. Do you think if it was an obligation, anybody would take him? Yeah, I, I think I'd, it'd be too much a risk. If okay. you're taking a player that has had a, a checkered last two years with an obligation to buy, that's leaving you kind of exposed to him having a bad six months, and then you've got, you're stuck with a guy that you don't want. Right. So an option to buy, I think the last 12, 18 months, because of the financial situation, clubs have started going towards option to buy because it gives them a freedom. It also gives the, the club that are letting him go the option to put him in the shop window and say, look, if he does well there, they'll sign him. If he doesn't do well, then, you know, tick him back. It's a gamble they take because they hope he does well, raise his profile, raise his value, so that his value right now, I don't know what I mean, they signed him for £58 million. Raheem Sterling was, I think, just short of £50 million pounds this summer with a year left in his contract. So that, if you look at the benchmark, I think Raheem Sterling is probably a better a better player at that value than, than Pulisic, but he's obviously a bit older. I think Pulisic right now, £30-35 million. Pounds, with 18 months left on his contract. Yeah. But if he goes to United or Arsenal or Newcastle does well, then maybe Chelsea get £40 million. Hmm. So, Eric Ten Hag, his tactics, his style, does the coach see him with good eyes? How does he fit into this? He likes players who are committed, who have got a bit of fight, a bit of spirit. Look, we've seen Lisandro Martinez, we've seen Anthony, we've seen Casemiro, all players with a bit of, bit of spike. Mm -hmm. I think Pulisic has got that. I think he wants good characters, and I think he is. I think, I think he can be quite challenging, but that's what Ten Hag wants. He wants players that will push themselves, push the teammates. And he can play across the front three. He can play you know, across the front three, behind the front three. He's, he's versatile. And I think, again, he's got a point to prove. And I think, I look at individually, Anthony Martial has let United down more than he's done well for them. Marcus Rashford, hot and cold. Alanga, too young. Jadon Sancho having a really bad time right now. Anthony, jury's out. So, and, and Ganacho got talent, but he's young, so there's nobody can say they can really say, I can hang my hat on. So Pulisic could come in and very quickly be one of his go-to guys because he actually has some talent and some fire and some, some ability. You think it'd be a good fit for him? I do. I do. I think it's a very explosive team out of the break. I think that's one of his strong suits is mm -hmm. his play in transition, how he can go at people with speed. I don't think he's a problem in any locker room, and I think that's what Eric Ten Hag and, and United are looking for right now. The exit of Cristiano Ronaldo would, would tell you they, they don't want an ego. They don't want that type of player. They want somebody who's up for the cause, as you said. I do see Christian Pulisic. That. My worry is Christian Pulisic. Mm. Is, this is a player that needs to feel loved. Mm -hmm. He needs to feel valued. I think he's proven that in his time at Chelsea that when, he's feel, when he feels the love and he feels the value he can produce, I don't quite necessarily know if that's United for him. Hmm. I think the one thing that Pulisic will know is that it's Man United and you go there and you do well and you will be loved. You'll be loved like you've never been loved before because they're one of those clubs, Man United, Liverpool, that they really embrace their players. All they want is to see a player try, deliver and have some quality. Now, if the alternative option would be to go to... Marseille or, you know, Valencia, then that second had dropped down and you're never going to get back to that like Man United. There's certain clubs that you think, right, I'll, I'll give it a go. Augie, what I can tell you is Christian Pulisic in Manchester United would be a marketer's dream yes. in the States. When I was growing up in the early 2000s, we had one soccer channel, one football channel a week in the Premier League in English. And normally it was that United yeah. class, David Beckham, Scolzi, you know, Giggs, all those players. That is America's team yeah. per se when it comes to the Premier League. That well, would be a marketer's dream. Well, listen, we, we had this discussion off air before. Yeah. I think I think it's a bit of a contradiction because Man United are now so big that they are probably one of the only clubs that wouldn't need a Christian Pulisic to make them bigger. But, like you say, they're a club at the moment where the, the, the American owners are looking to sell, probably to another American fund because that is where the money is right now, the equity funds of the States. So it wouldn't do Man United any harm whatsoever to have the United States' more high-profile player playing for the club. But, but I don't think that would be a motivating factor. I think this would be a football decision. And... The, the key issues for me are what Ten Hag wants and can he convince the United that his fitness issues over the last 18 months aren't a problem. But there's no doubt over his ability, his talent, but I think what you just mentioned about the, the marketing side is a, is a very positive addition to it and I don't think anyone at United would be complaining about that. Uh, 
Chelsea fans kind of complained about that, though. I feel like there was kind of a label of Pulisic sometimes as a marketing signing. You talked about the United fan reaction you know, after yeah. you dropped the article last night. Did you get any of that from United fans, or were they just saying, we don't rate Christian Pulisic as a player? Pretty much that. Okay. Yeah, it's, it wasn't a case of uh, he's been there to sign to buy, sell, sell shirts. I think United have been to this process before. The United fans have realised that they were the club that set the mould for commercialisation and and I've been told many times that the shirt sale thing is a myth. The, the one player that was a real, well, I mean, obviously, like, sorry, Beckham and Ronaldo have been big players, but the one player outside that bracket who was a mega signing in terms of commercial was Jason Park, mm. um, South Korea international. And he was, I, I, I went to Seoul when United played a pre-season friendly and it was like being with the Beatles. <laughs> it was crazy. People, there were kids sleeping outside the team hotel to see Jason Park. But that sort of play was very rare. And I'm not saying that when United go to Chicago and New York, there'll be kids sleeping outside the hotel to see Pulisic, but... You know, if you're walking on Fifth Avenue and you see a post with Christian Pulisic, you know, beaming down in a Man United shirt, then... Yeah, that's, that that's was a, a different time, too, yeah, I feel like. Right. I feel like Manchester United has penetrated every market, uh, yeah. certainly the American one. Go ahead. No, I, I'm just curious. Todd Bowley, uh, Chelsea owner, uh, he thinks this is a good idea, letting Christian Pulisic go, because I know he's very kind of hands-on mm. for somebody who doesn't have a lot of experience in the game. I think he just looks at the bottom line, and I think nowadays the club owners are, they take the emotion out of it, so... Letting us a big six rival is probably not the best football decision, but they look at, you know, we need to get players out. We've got Lukaku still in the way, as well as Inter Milan. We've got Nkunku coming in. You've got, you know, Kai Havertz. You've got Sterling. They spent a lot of money in the summer, yeah. Chelsea. Brought a lot of big earners in. Probably spent too much and paid them too much. So they have the to itch. find a way. Yeah, yeah. They have to find a way to, to cut their cloth. And I think this is, a, this is an opportunity. And if he's not been doing it on the pitch, and he hasn't been, Christian Pulisic is not that much of a marketing tool anywhere because he's a guy, you know, who wants to be associated with the sub? They don't. They want right. So that's the, I, I think that's the equation. What statement do you think is more true? Um, Chelsea are giving up on Christian Pulisic or are ready to give up on Christian Pulisic or Christian Pulisic is ready to give up on and move away from Chelsea? I think it's 50-50. Really? I, I, I think that Pulisic must right now be fed up with what's happening at Chelsea. He's had, he's had two cool didn't give him a go. Lampard was probably lukewarm to him as well, and Graham Potter's come in and just completely overlooked him, basically. So I think he's thinking that he probably deserves a bit more respect, a bit more game time. I, I think he's probably now fourth or fifth in, in the order when he probably deserves to be a bit higher. So I'm sure, as a, as a proud sportsman, as a guy that is a big star in his home country, <coughs> would want to be away from there so he can, you know, play and just be the guy that he should be. Christian Pulisic... From Dortmund to Chelsea, over $70 million transfer yeah. fee. Judge his time if it is the end, Christian Pulisic with Chelsea. How would you judge his time there? I think a bit of a letdown. I think he had a really good spell during uh, the COVID lockdown when he, you know, he was big, he's got a lot of goals, mm -hmm. but and he's, you know, he's won the Champions League. Yep. But I do think we look at the last we look at the last two years and, it's, and it, I couldn't tell you any highlights the last two years. I, I really couldn't. And that's probably not his fault. That's the fault of, you know, big stars around him, managers not looking at him but I, I just see him as a guy that he came with a big reputation and he's just a guy that you see every 20 minutes or so at the end of a game and that's not what you expect we've talked about how it might be a fit at Manchester United what about the other two clubs that he's linked at would he be a better or worse fit in, in your opinion at Newcastle and or Arsenal listen if he went to Newcastle he would be a big star I mean, okay New, New, we talk about being loved Newcastle fans are, are amazing and they, they were really taken to their hearts but um in terms of wanting to win and remain at that top level, a Newcastle at that level, yeah, I'm not too sure. And you know, he play, you know, he play, but if he, if he's got an option for United or an Arsenal, they're bigger clubs and clubs that are more ready at the minute. So. Between United and Arsenal, which one do you think would be a better fit? Uh oh, for? <laughs> United. Really? Yeah, I think Arsenal are a good team. Arsenal's where you get the London factor as well, and I think move from Chelsea to Arsenal probably. That might be a little bit problematic for Chelsea, less so with United. I, d I just think if any player is offered the opportunity to go to Man United or Liverpool or Barcelona, he take it, no matter what situation the club's in, because they're such big, big clubs. And Arsenal are a club on the up right now, but I think he goes to Arsenal and be in a similar situation to at Chelsea, really. I, I just think that I, I, I don't see him as a starter at Arsenal because of the way that Arteta plays, the way he has his, has, has his squad set. So I just think United is a real opportunity there to, you know, to get in and play. Give it a percentage chance that the, that the United deal goes through. I, I think it's probably a 60% chance. Hmm. The, the, the conversation I had yesterday was that he isn't a guy that January the 1st are going to be banging the door down to get from Chelsea, but he's a player that they know is available, is proven, and they can get him. And I think they, they realise that it could be a good option, but 
let's look at the market in January and see what comes up. If there may be a better option that emerges, but he's a good option. And I think, well, I think 50-60%. All right, there we have it. Christian Pulisic perhaps on the move from Chelsea and maybe to Manchester United. Mark Ogden, thanks for the time here on Football Americas. Thanks, Mark. Always great to have Mark Ogden with us here on Football Americas as we take a look at some of the players Christian Pulisic might, I should say, might be very, very soon competing with for playing time at Manchester United should that 60% uh, that Agi put out there come to fruition. Still a long time to go and much action to happen here at the World Cup uh, before we start talking about the January transfer window. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, time now to welcome into the show none other than Alexis Nunes, who is always bringing the vibes here on Football Americas. Today she joins us from, actually, uh, Alexis, I'll let you paint the picture. Where are you? What's going on? And who you've been hanging out with for the last couple hours? <laughs> Yeah, boys, you know me. It's your Vibes Queen reporting for duty, and we are actually at the match day <laughs> minus one U.S. soccer party. I mean, it is absolutely loud in here. I'm just very lucky that I can even hear you because so high are these vibes right now. Everyone came over here to kind of just, you know, get excited for the USA's match against Iran tomorrow. Obviously, quite a must-win match. It feels more like a final, and everyone's been here enjoying the Portugal match. You know, Cristiano Ronaldo, I've met a lot of Manchester United fans tonight, of course, loving the Bruno Fernandes mm. race. Everyone came here. The American Outlaws are here as well. They've just been behind me practicing some new songs that they plan to debut tomorrow. They're going to darle con todo, give it all tomorrow. We got to speak to a lot of the colorfully dressed fans uh, behind me. I think they're over behind me dancing right now. But really, the vibes have been good. Speaking to a lot <laughs> of the fans, they, they really and truly have been quite positive despite all the criticism that we, from a professional standpoint, do have for what we've seen from the U.S. men's national team. They were actually quite buoyed by what they saw against England. I think a lot of them went into that match and they said, look, we've been afraid of this England team. We know how deep they are. We know exactly how they can play. And they were quite happy with the attitude that they saw from the U.S. boys. And for this one now, with all due respect to Iran and what they were able to do against Wales, many of them believe that this is actually the USA's most manageable match of the tournament. So they have been waiting for this one. We spoke to um, so many of them and asked them about their travel plans because do they stay after the group stages? And so many people here have said they actually bought mm. a one-way ticket because they do believe that the USA can and will get out of this group. So the hopes are high, the expectations are high, the confidence is still high. The only questions that they ever had to ask me was, believe it or not, about Greg Berhalter and whether Greg was finally going to free up everyone <laughs> and allow them to play in the exciting way that we know because they do believe that this U.S. men's national team has the talent. They have all the fancy cars like the Ferraris, like the Bentleys, and he just said they want them to go out and play like that. So the expectations are high, the hopes are high, and all these people have their one-way ticket and they don't want to be booking a flight back home to the U.S. after tomorrow. All right. I was going to ask you if it's more optimism or nerves, but it sounds like there's a, a lot of optimism there at the at the night before party. I know you've been talking to some of the fans, uh, Alexis, and I know they've got some questions for us here on the desk. So uh, what do you got out there for us? 
Yeah, as always, they've got plenty, plenty of questions. Like I said, not just for Greg Berhalter. Uh, we had one who was really stealing the show because I walked in and I immediately saw him in a fabulously dressed suit with the stars and the stripes. But he also had an American bald eagle on his shoulder. Not a real one because that would be illegal. But he had a stuffed one on his shoulder. And he actually had a message for Herc because he, as the rest of them, wants to know if the U.S. does get out of the group, how far they could go. Here's what he had to say. Hercules, I got a question. We, we beat Iran. We went 2-1. We get to the round of 16. How far are we going? Ooh. All right, Herc, what do you think? You beat, I, you beat Iran. Um, that would mean you would play most likely Senegal or the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. I think you match up better with the Netherlands. Really? Okay. Yes, I do. Uh, so the Netherlands come in first, I think it's a good matchup. Honestly, I think Ecuador is a very exciting game as well. I think it's gonna okay. be, I think it's a very winnable game for you. After that, we were talking about France. Yeah, we're talking about quinto partido. You're, You're talking about Kylian Mbappe. You're no, I, I, and I believe it's Kylian Mbappe. I, I believe it's that it's France. Yes. That's who you face. There you go. You could get to the quinto partido if you get out of versus Iran. I, I, I think it's I think it's a realistic. Hey, listen. It's also realistic the U.S. can lose tomorrow. I mean, yes. this is a very difficult game. He prefaced game. it if they get through. Yeah, if they get through, I think it's an exciting matchup between either of them, but a very winnable game between either of them, the as, Netherlands and And Ecuador. as we've always said, Group A is very accessible from that, you know, yes. Grusse matchup standpoint. It, it could set up well for the U.S. I think you like your chances there. I just say relatively, right? You're going to play, play, play a tough team in the round of 16, but relative to what you could get, it could match up uh, well there for the United States. All right, Alexis, let's get back out to you at the night before party. Uh, what else do the fo folks out there want to know? Yeah, well, honestly, guys, I mean, we talk so much about how this is a golden generation for U.S. soccer. And one man that is at the forefront, best believe that I saw a lot of his name on everyone's backs here on their jerseys. You'd think it'd be Christian Pulisic, but best mm. believe it's actually Gio Reyna. And why not? And everyone wants to see more of him, including this guy that had this question. Hola, Hercules. This is Juan Guillermo Ruiz from San Diego, California. And my question to you is, as a former player, how do you tell someone like Giovanni Reina, you're not part of the process for the first two matches, but I want you tomorrow to be an influential player against our match from Iran. Thank you. So it was a little bit part of the process. He played seven minutes no, in the No, 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 yeah. but that's a brilliant question mm -hmm. because you have to go into the psyche of the player right now. Now, the truth may be somewhere in between of what we've heard from Winalda, what we heard from Greg, what we heard from Gio, and all that circus that is. But your psyche, if you're Gio Reyna, has to be tested a little. Now, this is where I think Gio Reyna, who has the highest ceiling of all, also has something that most players in this pool don't have. What's up? That chip on his shoulder. Mm. He's the closest to Clint Dempsey that this U.S. Really? Men's yes, by far. The closest that they have. Interesting comparison. That little anger in him, that little fire in the mm. belly. That's Giov Giovanni Reyna. Giovanni Reina, use that if you feel slighted to your advantage. Let it motivate you. Let it sink in and fuel you. And I think that's a dangerous player. All right, Alexis, it's very clear the fans want to see Gio Reyna. Anybody else that the folks at the night before party are asking for? Ah, uh, Sebi, you absolutely bet. And again, I, you know, guys, I live in London. I live in the UK. And everybody has kind of been looking over their shoulders at this little American revolution that they have going on in the UK, not just in the Premier League. And looking at this really golden American talent that we see thriving in the Premier League. And that's what this guy wanted to know, because there's someone that has been tearing up the place in the Premier League, and he wants to see more of him. Hey, Herc, my name is Josh Baker. I'm from Philadelphia, PA. And my question is, why isn't Brendan Aronson getting 90 minutes a game when he is one of the only Premier League fit players on the pitch for the USMNT? A ver, a ver, defend yourself, because you wouldn't put him in the starting lineup against Iran. You just told us that. My man, are you sure he's a Philly fan as well? I'm sure the Union did you proud. Uh, I'm questioning myself, my own identity. <laughs> yes. Because everything about me says, Screams put Mr. Football Americas on the field. I like the point that the fan brings up there is that he is fit. Premier League fit, yeah. not just fit. Yeah. yeah. Where are you going to put him right now? Nah, it's true. Because I mean, you're taking way off. That's the option. You're taking way, way off Brendan. the field, and he's had a coming out party in this World Cup. 
I think the midfield's been brilliant. Um, Musa, we've not seen the best of Musa yet as far as exp doing what he does the best. I think we've seen other things, and you're like, wow, didn't know he had it in his locker. Look mm -hmm. how good he is. Look how good this kid is. Holding down players like uh, Jude Bellingham, holding down players like Rice, you know, uh, uh, these type of players defensively. But you've not seen him drive the ball, so we're still going to see the best. Been an absolute beast this World Cup. By far one of the better players. Um, and Weston McKinney, who I think is getting better. He's progressing the first game now. So it's in the midfield, where would you put him? And up top, I mean, you're not going to take Christian Pulisic off at this moment. I, think, I thought he was brilliant versus uh, England. And Timothy Wyatt is coming out party, so I don't know where to put him. But I agree with you. you got to get him on the field. He, he's got to be more influential than he's been. you got to give him more minutes because he can affect the game. So he's just productive. He's just a productive player. All right, so uh, there you have it. The answers from Hercules Gomez responding to the fans, to the people. Alexis Nunez, as always, great to have you with us here on Football America's Real Talk. You have been an incredible addition to this show. We thank Venga. you so much for your time and all the effort talking to the fans out there. It really is awesome to have you with us. Cheers, guys. See you soon. There she is. Alexis Nunez, uh, always getting the After job the done After the tequila now. God, here on Football America. Man, she talked to everybody, folks from San Diego to Philly. Did I see a Buffalo Bills shirt flying in the background there? Or was that just my Buffalo Bills fandom? No, we're getting close to December, January. You won't see that anymore. Ah, oh, steady, steady. All right, so here's a look at the uh, U.S. record at the World Cup in their group phase finale. Not a whole lot of W's in there, except for when one Hercules Gomez is on the team. Way back in started 2010. Game. Yes, you did. Herc starts and the U.S. wins. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's turn our attention to El Tri, who are now, what, uh, three days removed from the 2-0 loss against Argentina. It's actually a game that drew record-setting television audiences in both the United States and Mexico. Now, in Mexico, 40.5 million people watched this game. As I understand it, that is the most ever for a World Cup game in Mexico. Now, in the United States, 8.9 million tuned in on Telemundo also setting a World Cup group phase record in Spanish in the U.S. All right, for more on the Mexican national team, we welcome back to the show the man that not only qualified them for the last World Cup, but got him to the round of 16, El Profe, Juan Carlos Osorio. It's been great to have you with us, not just here on the show, but we hang out a little bit outside the show. And one of the things that I first picked up from one of our first conversations is that you can tell a manager's statement of intent from his starting lineup. So let's go back to the Argentina-Mexico game. What was the intent behind mm. the lineup from Tata Martino against Argentina? Right, um, a lot of the interpretations uh, and a lot of um, supposed to be the, the, the starting line. I, I did say that I prefer to stay, to wait until the lineup came, came out. And exactly the two things were, to me, was where the two wing backs will defend the 14 meters mm -hmm. channel, the outside channels, and the three in, at the back will defend the uh, the width of the penalty spot. A, the decision was who played as a as a anchor, as an anchorman, and who played as a left arm and the right arm, and I thought he. If that was his intention, he he got that right because uh, Hector Moreno played on the left, and then it was Montes as an anchor, and as a right arm was Nestor Araujo. 
my question was and not now because the the, the score is is known but if you remember we spoke about this and when I did have to give the uh, my understanding of this starting line I didn't understand why the number six the number five in other cultures the the, the defensive pivot the, the the holding midfielder should have been in my opinion Edson Alvarez mm. like there are two three teams that have played in this World Cup with the back three and one of them was Denmark and you remember they play Hoiberg mm -hmm. playing here and then these two guys if you have a proper center defensive midfielder that can block can cover a lot of ground and will every duel will be contested by him then you can have two inside players that can be like 8-10 right mm -hmm. but knowing that Messi Di Maria Di Maria Martinez yeah and then the pole will come probably on this side and knowing that when they are in the attack this area they try to open it for a guy like Messi then that wasn't well thought mm. as soon as you see this lineup profit are you thinking he's going defensive or offensive like he's looking because when you do five at the back it's three center backs you can have the ball and you mm. may be more offensive or you can say we're going to defend when you saw the lineup what did you think I think that when who, whatever team that plays with three in the back the guys that make the difference to for to become either a defensive team or an offensive offensive team are the two wing backs mm. right so apparently when you see that then you say Jesus Gallardo will go and Alvarez will be here right now during the game this is what happened and we didn't uh, we didn't Mexico didn't take it didn't take advantage of that this is Guido Rodriguez this is Lautaro this is this is uh, the left back um, Acu is, uh, is Acuna Acuna yes Acuna and then this the guy in here was McAllister mm -hmm. and from around the 12th minute what they did and it was very clear is the Maria will be in the touch in the sideline just with his back to the sideline Messi will come here Montiel will be here as just uh, trying to fix somebody and the pole will come there and they will try to bring everybody here with the idea of attacking this side because then Mexico will vascular yeah. Yeah. they will leave this open the and weak that side. was quite open from the beginning yeah which means that in Mexico recovered the ball this this should have been the outlet ball and it was, was never like that. It looked that. tentative. Let me ask was you a question. Like that. You mentioned the midfield. You mentioned Ensign mm -hmm. briefly. When I see that it's Hector Herrera, Guardado, and Luis Chavez, to me that means we're going to have the ball. That's the message that Tata Martino is sending to Mexico. You're saying based on the skill sets of those players. Based on the skill set of those players, they're not going to defend and chase. But I thought it was a game where you needed an Edson Alvarez, this player right here, because when they score a goal, it's literally right here. That is an especialist, is a specialist in that zone, that zone 14 that you say, Messi scores the goal exactly. zone 14, Edson isn't there. Why wasn't Edson there? And, and a lot of people, well, a lot trying to justify that decision. They say, well, he only got the ball there once. Well, but you have to realize, you look at his statistics and he scored a, a lot of goals coming from, let's say, the inside channel coming in and hitting the ball or getting in, in here. And obviously, if the ball comes from this side and he's standing here, when they just leave them, just this pass from, I think it was the pole, in here, all he has to do is get it with his outlet, yeah. with, his, with his left foot, so the ball comes here and make it very difficult for for Herrera to cover yeah. and then he gets a shot and he's in and you have to plan for that you have to understand with this guy we cannot let him shoot from that zone 14 uncontested yeah now at the 40th minute when Guardado got hurt that's a 
perfect scenario to say, well, I can change this. And then he went for Eric Gutierrez, which I don't think, I think he's a good player. But for this specific game, mm. Mexico need yeah. a, center, a, a, a midfielder there that could block the shots, that would go and contest every ball that is good in the air and is, is a positional player. He likes to be there. Yeah. Hector, no, Hector is more like an eighth, up and down guy. And then when, when that happened, then you end up bringing Irving and Vega here, and you are too far away to, from the other goal. Okay, Profe, I've set up the blues here. I've changed it from Argentina to Saudi Arabia, right? Saudi Arabia seems to play in a 4-1-4-1. So I want to know what your strategy would be against Saudi Arabia, considering, one, we know how they play, and two, we know that Mexico need to score. So how would you then set up the Mexican team in this huge game against Saudi Arabia? Well, the first thing is you have to attack. And that the, the statement of intent is we're here to win this game. We need to score goals because that will make the difference. Right. So you go back I'll, to a 4-3-3? No, I, I, I think I will play with... Show us, show I, us. I would play with three forwards. Okay. And two inside midfielders that can attack. And I will play my anchorman there. Mm -hmm. So I will resign... Is that clear? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I will resign to a central defender mm -hmm. and I will make Edson here. I'll play Edson here. Those two guys, whatever he decides to play, any, any of them, but they have to be offensive players and hopefully they will bring the game to Arabia. And, and, and the other thing that I want to be, uh, that I, uh, I want to reiterate myself is it, now Saudi Arabia has to attack. Right. And if they do that, like they did against Argentina, I can almost guarantee that it if different plays here and they decide to play uh, Vega, Antuna, Antuna, who would you go with? any of the guys, they too can have at least one chance in a counter-attacking game. Okay. Because they are quick, fast. I didn't say that uh, that that Irving is a better player than uh, right. Mbappé. No, I didn't say that. I just say that as far as speed, as far as who can cover more ground in, in seconds, he's one of the faster he players. is one of the fastest guys. And let me ask you a question. A lot of talk, especially from our colleagues on Deportes, that Tata Martino may switch from a nominal nine to a nine that's more ligero, like an Alexis Vega or a Chucky Lozano. Mm. Do you recommend this nine to be one of those players, or will you go with a Henry Martin, a Funes no, Mori, or Raul I Jimenez? A, I would recommend a fast player here. A fast player as a nine. you can always, like today, even Brazil, they have the fastest guys at front, right? For them, uh, Rafinha, uh, Richard Mar, Vini, yeah, uh, Vinicius, 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 right? And those are the guys that they go at front. Uh, Richardson, I don't think that he's quick, but the the, win the the wingers have to be the fastest guy on the 11th. And then you decide what to do with these two guys. Could be the ones that organize the team. But please, do not leave here. <laughs> Stay there. Who's this guy? Edson Alvarez. Edson Alvarez. Edson Alvarez. Okay. Uh, there it is. Juan Carlos Osorio, El Profe, great to have you with us here on Football Americas. We've got to send you over to the Football Picante set, but you know you are always welcome here, and Lucasa. we're always learning Lucasa. in your presence. And I'd like to be here. There it is. <laughs> Well, Profe paints a picture of possibilities, but the actual picture for how Mexico might advance out of Group C, much more complicated. They could clinch a berth in the round of 16 with a win against Saudi Arabia and an Argentina loss versus Poland. A four-goal win would guarantee a spot, but it's going to come down to goal difference, even in the best-case scenario, likely for Mexico. Speaking of that Argentina-Mexico match, video has emerged from the Argentina locker room after the game where Lionel Messi appears to kick out at a Mexico jersey on the ground as he takes off his shoes in the midst of the Argentina celebrations. Of course, this video, what you think of it, is all in the interpretation. Well, one person who didn't interpret it all that well is Canelo Alvarez. Yes, the uh, iconic Mexican boxer took to Twitter to express his feelings. Did you see Messi wiping the floor with our jersey and flag? All right, so that's the start, but this is actually one of about a three or 
23 <laughs> tweet thread from Canelo, who was uh, clearly very upset about this. He'd go on to say, he better hope to God I don't find him. Oy. I mean, I wouldn't want to run across an angry Canelo. Mm -hmm. uh, fair enough Ask there. Ask Archie so, about that. Yeah, so very clearly upset. He continued, like, I respect Argentina. He has to respect Mexico. I'm not talking about the country as a whole, but Messi for what he did. And uh, finally, even the fact that the jersey is on the floor is an insult. All right, Herc, time for another edition of Get Lost here on Football America. So who are we telling to get lost here? Messi or Canelo? I don't want Canelo to hurt me, but <laughs> my man got to get lost. Now, let me, let me tell you. What's your experience? Take us in the dressing room. What's happening here? You, you, you exchange jerseys, jerseys yeah. with a player mm -hmm. on any team you're on, whether it's international or whether it's, it's a domestic in your club situation. And jerseys are sweaty. They're drenched. I'm talking about dripping wet. You don't go throw it in your locker with your clean clothes. What you do is you throw it on the ground, and then you take off all your stuff, shoes, shin guards, shorts, all your clothes, you throw that on the ground as well. You go shower, mm -hmm. you come back, and when everything's a little drier, you throw it into a bin that the kit man then washes. So the shirt you just changed, the jersey you just exchanged, he's going to wash that and return it to you later. Because I would assume the kit man's washing our jerseys you don't keep the other team's jerseys? You, you give it to the kit man the as kit well? The kit man, and then you get the jersey back when it's nice and clean. Aguero is essentially explaining the same thing. Yeah, I'll translate here uh, quickly. He says, Canelo, don't look for excuses or problems. You surely don't know about football or what happens in a locker room. Right. So once it's all clean and dry, you take it home. Right there, I clearly saw Messi doing what any other footballer does. Miguel Ayun has come out on his social media and said the same thing. And it's on the ground. No disrespect to the shirt, because there is no flag there. Do not mistake, please, do not mistake, and I repeat, do not mistake a jersey and that crest for a flag. There's a big difference. And he's taken off his cleats, and he accidentally brushes the jersey. I, this is honestly way out of character for Canelo. I don't mm. know if it was one too many he was tipping back, and he just decided to go on social media. But this is, like, so out of character for Canelo and so out of character to accuse a player who's never given us any reason to mm. doubt him. Yeah. If it was Dibu Martinez, easy, easy. I said, hey, <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's an argument to be made here. But it's Lionel Messi. That's not in his character. No. So you got to get lost, my man. I mean, hey. Stick to that. Stick to what you know. No, 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 no. I'm just saying, you know, bigger things to worry about. Like Bivol, we you, don't got to go attacking Messi. You mentioned the uh, world of football, Colin, of coming to, to Messi's defense. Cesc Fabregas said, you don't know the person, how locker rooms work, or what happens right. uh, after a game. I think to your point, it's, it's about the persona, right? If it was yeah. somebody else. But Messi's never behaved like that. Um, and I think probably from Canelo, your theory aside, it's a reflection of the angst just around Mexico, around this team in the World Cup that's probably coming through there. All right, let's get to what has quickly become Hercules Gomez's favorite part of the show, and that is Check Dimensions oh, hey. for your questions. Keep us up late here at night in Qatar. A few days ago, Hercules said that Herdman, John Herdman, is the best coach in CONCACAF. If the U.S. advanced to round of 16, does he change his mind to Greg Berhalter? Go on, Hercules. What do you think? No. Um, a snapshot of 90 minutes doesn't define your life or your legacy. It really doesn't. A World Cup? Could no. define your legacy no. as a manager. Because he can, go, could on, define he your can future. go on the next game and beat Morocco, play spoiler, and they come out of there with three points and, and whatever. And Greg Berhalter, I mean, he's got to advance to the round of 16. But when we look at coaches per se, one could get farther. It doesn't mean you're a better coach. I mean, Bruce Arena went to a quarterfinal game mm -hmm. and was a handball away from being a semifinalist in the World Cup. And I'm not saying Bruce Arena isn't a good coach, but would you take him over other coaches who are just as accomplished, if not more, who have never been that far? No. You're, and the reason you're impressed with Herdman is where he's taken Canada. If Greg Berhalter takes the U.S. to somewhere they've never been before, then I think maybe we start to have that conversation, right? But Herdman has already done that. He's yeah, already accomplished that. It was that. a bad lapse of judgment by John Herdman. A few, I should say, after the Belgium game and then what was the Croatia game, it, the stubbornness of maybe the loyalty, but the stubbornness of not taking Atiba Hutchinson off uh, when you could have to help the team. All right, let's get to our next question here on Check the Mentions. As you know, it has not been a great tournament for teams from our region, CONCACAF. We have not seen a whole lot of success. Uh, and this question drills down on that. Would you rather be bounced out of the World Cup like Canada or, and I like how they're already uh, printing the papers, eventually like Mexico. Herc, what do you think? All right, paint the picture of how Mexico goes out. 
Well, Mexico's not out yet. No, but, oh, you said sure. eventually. So if you're hypothetically, well, I didn't. I didn't write the tweet. How, how would they go out hypothetically? Let's say, let's say they do the job against Saudi Arabia, right? They beat Saudi Arabia three nothing, but the other result doesn't go their way, so they don't get out of the group. Okay. So and, playing and well in the Canada, last game. How does Canada play in their third game? Canada plays valiantly and gets a first ever point at the World Cup, but not a first ever victory. I go with Canada. Really? Yeah, because of what they've shown me. Yeah, because what I love most about the World Cup is the way that it makes people feel, it makes people respond. Like we see one of the coolest things for me uh, in 2010 mm. was after that game is done, that Landon Donovan scored the last second goal. Go, go, USA. Go, go, USA. We had no idea of the watch parties going right. on and how people reacted. It wasn't until we got back and later on somebody like uploaded something to YouTube with all the reactions. I, to this day, it gives me goosebumps mm. thinking like you were part of something – so special that made people feel a certain way. Canada did that. They did that for stretches of the first two games, and they may do that against Morocco. Mexico's not done that. Mexico's not giving you that. And even if you win 3-0, but you go out, they won't give the Mexican public that. So they have not given that sensation. So I would rather be Canada. All right, uh, fair enough. Let's get to the last question here on Check the Mentions. We've been talking about some potential transfers already in this show. Christian Pulisic uh, maybe ending up at Manchester United. You've definitely seen the rumors, certainly this week, but really the last few months, of Lionel Messi potentially landing at Inter-Miami. Now uh, Busquets is apparently also um, considering a move to Inter-Miami. Kepa asks, Messi and Busquets to MLS reinforcing retirement league stereotype. What say you, Herc? Busquets, yes. Mm -hmm. Separate Messi and Busquets. Okay. Busquets by himself, yes. I, I don't understand the movement, yet, let alone to Miami and that heat, <laughs> that weather situation uh, in a very physical league. He's a very technical player, but he's already, you can see the deficiencies at the Barcelona level when he gets anywhere mm -hmm. near a player that's physically fit, that's physically fast um, with technical ability. So, yeah, I, I, do, I don't like that move one bit, but separate the two, please, because when you're talking about Lionel Messi, mm -hmm. 35. Yeah. I don't care how old he is. It's a watershed moment for Major League Soccer. The same way of the same vein, of the same vein as David Beckham was in 2007 for the LA Galaxy. It changes the complexion of the league, may change the trajectory and history of the league moving forward. You do it if you can. Bringing in Lionel Messi right now, Lionel Messi, excuse me, is the closest thing, if not I know he walks in the field. You saw it against Mexico. But you also saw against Mexico. You give him that open space. You give him that centimeter, and he will turn it on and do his magic. 35 now. He'll turn 36 next summer when the expectation is he very well might move to Inter-Miami. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. Tomorrow is sleep tonight because tomorrow is United States against Iran for a spot in the round of 16. For Hercules Gomez, producer Beto, I'm so On ESPN Plus.